Hey everyone, Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. Welcome to episode 2 for 2021. The new season is upon us. We're only days away from the first race, the first Formula 1 race I should say, of the season and this is the preview episode. Mind you, not the Australian Grand Prix preview because that is going to be later this year. <laughs> um, does feel a bit strange, of course, coming into the start of a new season in March and not being ready for the Australian Grand Prix, as I did say last week. But, you know, I'll probably stop talking about it now um, and we'll wait till November. But, yeah, we're in Bahrain this week, so not a bad place to start. We've had some pretty good races there in the past since they've turned it into the night race. And if you guys remember, we have had Bahrain as the season opener in the past, going back to 2010, I believe, um, with the massive endurance layout as the um, confusing track if you ever tried it on the F1 2010 video game and that time we saw Ferrari and Fernando Alonso win I don't think that neither Alonso or Ferrari both in different places at the moment are going to be anywhere near the winner's circle but alas let's move on and I wanted to start off actually this week by talking about some things I'm looking forward to in 2021 for F1. Um, six things to be precise, I've written a rather lengthy article about it as well which I'll send forward to the publishers tonight but you know just to elaborate on them in you know, verbally, audibly, whatever you want to say, um, I felt like, yeah, just, you know, these are things I'm looking forward to, a lot of people might say, oh, you know, Mercedes are going to win again, it's all doom and gloom, blah, 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 but, you know, it might not be the best things to be looking forward to, they might not be as exciting as some other things might be, but, here we go. This is this is what I'm looking forward to. And I talked about this last week, the record 23 race season. Um, the plus and minuses, of course. The plus is that there's more racing to look forward to, which, you know, as a fan, you'll want racing all the time. You want to see your favorite drivers and teams out there. But, you know, the detractor is that, you know, the quality versus quantity debate. You know, we've got races that probably don't, um, really excite a lot of people, you know, French Grand Prix being one of them, um, how's this new Saudi Arabia track going to go, we got first pictures of the layout last week, of course, dubbed the fastest ever street circuit, um, in the world, is it going to have overtaking opportunities, you know, from the layout, it doesn't look likely, but, you know, we might be proved wrong when we get there, given how successful Baku's been, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, but also, you know, just being cautious for the teams and crews and fatigue, you know, traveling for 23 races, 23 weekends, you know, there's a few, there's a triple header involved again, which, you know, we had many of those last year when we tried to fit 17 races into a short space of time, so whilst it's great to look forward to a long season, you know, many races, many opportunities for mixed results and, you know, for the championship as well, if we do get a Mercedes versus Red Bull Titanic battle, at the same time, it's the fatigue factor which I think might take away from it. But again, you know, 
I'm excited that we get our regular favourites back on, you know, of course, Monaco, we didn't get last year, uh, the Dutch Grand Prix we missed out on as well, you know, Canada is also a favourite of mine, even though it's a it's a 4am affair, but it is the Queen's birthday holiday here, so, you know, that was a bit of a tradition for me, waking up Monday morning and having the next, you know, having the day off as well after that meant, which meant we could have a bit of a sleep in and then, of course, you know, if we get to go back to the the Americas as well, uh, Texas and, and Brazil and Mexico, all favourite races that we didn't really get to see last year in Formula One. So that's, you know, one thing to look forward to. Another being the introduction of the cost cap and the sliding aero scale as well. Whether So again, this was a measure brought in to make the racing closer now while we're not going to see its impact straight away this year the seeds are being sown you can say so 145 million dollars us as a performance cost cap so the big teams you know red bull ferrari mercedes they spend upwards of that amount a year you'd say possibly mclaren and, and aston martin who were formerly racing point would have spent closer to the 145 million dollar mark so it kind of makes it a more even playing field they can't really spend more money on performance gains so those bigger teams who are used to spending more to get to where they are now have to be a bit more wiser with how they spend money so again not something we're going to see big impact from this year but you know in the future I'm gonna I'm sure we're gonna see it really um, have some kind of um, impact I didn't want to use the word impact again, but there we go. And the sliding arrow scale as well. So, you know, the lower the team finishes in the championship, the more CFD and wind tunnel runs they'll get. So if you take last year's championship, for example, Williams finished at the bottom, they'll get the most by comparison to Mercedes, who'll get the least. So whether teams are going to use that this year and perhaps tank their season, considering... Next year is a whole new era, new technical regulations, new cars, whether a team is going to say, well, you know, after the first couple of races, they might be like, oh, yeah, we're not really going to be fighting for the top five at all this year. Let's just, you know, write it off and um, hope to get more wind tunnel testing time next year. It's a bit sneaky, but there's nothing to say that, you know, they can't do that. So, you know... It wouldn't, let's take the example of Ferrari, you know, it won't be a bad thing for them if they have a, another less than average season this year, let's say they finish 6th or 7th the Constructors' Championship, it just means that they'll get more CFD and wind tunnel runs for next year, but then, you know, whilst we're saying that, 2022 and 2023 are going to be years that Ferrari win the championship after all these concessions that have been given to them and all the us, you know, critics and stuff as well saying, you know, we need to back off from them until that change comes in the regulations when, you know, they can start completely fresh and actually be up there. So, you know, if they don't do it by next year, then bleh, when are they going to do it? That's when we can really rip into them and say, you need a major overhaul from top to bottom, you know, like, you know, what's gone on with the Brisbane Broncos, I guess you could say in the NRL, they finally changed their coach, you know, they fired Anthony Seabold last year because that wasn't going to work out, and they've brought in the favourite in Kevin Walters, for example, yet they're still 0-2 and two from the start of the season, 
Um, so problems that they have are not with, you know, the coaching side of things. It's, you know, more so the administration. It's, you know, player retention and stuff like that. I don't, I'm not trying to start an NRL podcast here, but I'm just saying that it's it's similar in a way to what's going on at Ferrari. And perhaps it's more than just changing your team principle or changing your drivers and everything. It's, you know, more so a top to bottom administration thing that they've got to look at and the way that they're managing themselves internally so yeah you know that's going to be interesting because this is a big thing that was coming in to level the playing field for the sport you know going into the future as well where they want to attract new manufacturers and new teams so you know this is really where we get to see how teams get a taste of um, the new cost cap so it'd be interesting to see how it pans out this year the return of Fernando Alonso, um, two-year layoff for him, of course. Can he rediscover his old form at Alpine, of course? You know, it feels like a lifetime ago that he actually won his two world championships back in 05 and 06. And, you know, you kind of remember more of the bad times with him, you know, where he fell short at Ferrari. He was the stint at McLaren from 2015 to 18 was disastrous, you know, and all we can remember is his scathing criticisms of the team, you know, and, and of and of the engine supplier Honda at the time. So whether his two-year break from the sport has actually, you know, given him a chance to calm down and reflect and become a more, you know, let's say sanguine character, you know, he won a couple of Le Mans, couple of world endurance championships i'm pretty sure he went back to the indy 500 he finished the race last year wasn't on the podium or anything and then also did the dakar rally and crashed out of that but again the experience of that would have been great for him whether he coming into alpine this year can i guess exercise patience given that they're not really in any sort of form at the moment they had a bit of an average preseason testing you can say um and just given how destructive a character Alonso can be you know I wonder if it's a bit of a time bomb situation where you know you've got Esteban Ocon in the car as well his teammate who's going to be looking to prove a point after last year not really stacking up to Daniel Ricciardo um Alonso's a bit of a teammate killer as we know as well but at the same time you know I don't mean to sound all negative about him he his presence on the grid is pretty phenomenal having a world champion there two-time world champion he delivers some of the best wheel-to-wheel racing that we've seen as well um you look at the battles that he had with Seb Vettel when he was at Ferrari and um Vettel was at McLaren sorry not (laughs) McLaren at Red Bull back in the day you know and then of course 2012 that championship he came within three points of winning even though he shouldn't have really been in contention with that car he had so if we get that sort of old Alonso, the the hardcore racer, then I think, you know, we'll have a good year. I do expect Alpine to feature on the podium maybe a couple of times this year, as they do with Aston Martin and stuff, but I don't think they have the consistency to, to finish f- higher up than fourth in the championship. Um, I think third will definitely be something that McLaren will lock out, given how much gains or how many gains how much of a gain they've made with their car, with the Mercedes engine as well. They just seem to be in a lot better place than the likes of Alpine and Aston Martin at the moment. And leading on to the next point, you know, we had so many driver changes over the off-season, you know, Daniel Ricciardo, Carlos Sainz, Sebastian Vettel, and 
Sergio Perez all moving teams, you know, and big, big names as well to big teams. So Ricardo at McLaren, Sainz at Ferrari, Seb at Aston Martin and Checo at Red Bull. Who's going to benefit most from the change of the team, from change of team? I think it's all relative. I think, you know, you could say Checo probably benefits the most in terms of, you know, the results he'll gain because he's driving for Red Bull. Red Bull can win races regularly. Hopefully they're going to be challenging for the championship and his role will very much be to support Max Verstappen in stopping Mercedes, whereas the other guys are very much, you know, in the midfield fight. But then when you look at that, I think Ricardo is probably best placed. He's the one who had probably the most faultless preseason as well. They're... They finished third in the constructors last year. Third best didn't have the third best car, but I think this year they've got the third best car, and will be able to, you know, on merit possibly challenge for a race win here or there this year too. So that's a bit of a bold prediction of mine for McLaren and for Daniel Ricciardo, but hopefully it'll come to fruition. And, and as for Carlos and Seb, you know, for science, I guess it's more so, you know being part of that long-term recovery for Ferrari, you know, targeting next year is the year for where they become a championship force. We saw a lot of Carlos over the last couple of years at McLaren where he showed his leadership, he showed his racecraft as well, you know, he got the results where he needed to, um, he was sensational last year on route to sixth in the Drivers' Championship, and then, you know, even the year before, getting McLaren to where they were in the Constructors' Championship. So I think one thing I'd be interesting to see is the relationship that he has with uh, Leclerc this year, whether it's going to be all rosy on the surface and then people saying that, oh, you know, Charles is the number one driver there and whether they have that sort of dynamic. I think Carlos is the kind of guy who will want to assert himself as well if he feels that he's more confident in the car, but it didn't seem that way during the preseason, so he'll need a few races to get himself embedded. And I guess the best thing about it is that people are not going to be really expecting much of a gain from Ferrari this year, so they can kind of go about their business in the midfield and um, try and beat the likes of Alpine and Aston Martin. And then, of course, Sebastian as well, I think, just being free of that toxic environment at Ferrari, you know, and going on to a new project, um, one that Lawrence Stroll, the team owner, very ambitious about, you know, he spent the entire off-season getting new sponsors on that car, you know, sponsors that haven't been in the sport, you know, their title partner, Cognizant, and all these other sponsors that they went on a um, sponsorship drive for, you know, it's... It shows that intent that they're here to not mess around and to be to be winning. So I don't think it'll be the case this year. But again, you know, putting the eggs into the 2022 basket and having a four-time world champion like Seb, who has worked for Red Bull and for Ferrari, it's going to be important to drive that team forward. So it's all relative, as I said, you know, who benefits most from the change of team because I think all of them will benefit in a way perhaps not science, you know, given that he left McLaren to go to Ferrari, but, you know, he kind of summed it up as, you know, you never say no to if Ferrari comes knocking because it is an experience in itself, but he's got to be worried as well, you know, if, um, if he sees the orange car going um, past him many times or sees the orange car on the podium or 
of the top step of the podium ahead of him, I think that would probably dishearten him a little bit. So, yeah, um, also got the sprint race trial as well. So, as I said last week, you know, we kind of just have to accept the fact that we are going to trial this in the sport. F1's going to give it a go and we can lay down our judgment properly then, you know, whether it worked or not worked. You know, I think if you're a fan, you're at the track or at Silverstone or Monza or at Interlagos this year, having more racing, you know, to, to watch across the weekend, you know, if you get a weekend ticket or something, you're going to be happy with that, but also the detractors, there are quite a few still, but not going to focus on that at the moment, because we'll wait and see how these actually pan out, because as well, ultimately, I'm still of the opinion that next year, when we get these new technical regulations and these new cars, if they're what they're proposing with those cars about having more overtaking and ground effect and all that sort of thing we might not need sprint races on saturday and you know ways to shake up the grid because you'll get that next year and you'll see more closer racing so hopefully this is just a one-off but we just have to see how it all pans out and finally, you know, how can you not look forward to Mercedes versus Red Bull this year? You know, the Titanic battle, I guess, we've been waiting for for this entire hybrid turbo era. We kind of got it in 17 and 18 with Sebastian Vettel and, and Hamilton coming together. But, you know, ultimately, Vettel and Ferrari fizzled away halfway through the season. If, you know, this is to be a properly epic fight, you know, Red Bull have to take them right to the end of the season. And, you know, with... Verstappen in the form that he's in you know he's you're only as good as your last race and he won the last race last year he's in the window for a championship he won't be the youngest ever world champion though because I think it's like 23 years and 134 days that Seb was when he won in 2010 um, Max will be a little bit older than that but not by much you know so he'll still be in the record books but yeah you know with with Checo now as the rear gunner there's really no excuses and Red Bull have made improvements to their car it's a lot more stable not very skittish but you can't rule out Mercedes so I predict that you know whilst Red Bull will get away real quick at the start of the year they'll be up there and they'll be with Mercedes right throughout the season I think Mercedes will claw it back and you know Lewis Hamilton he isn't a seven-time world champion for nothing you know he in the years that Seb was strong in 17 and 18 he outperformed a car that was meant to be a bit of a diva that they all called so he did that came back and won the championship with a couple of races to spare so I think this one should hopefully go down to the wire but I still think that Hamilton will come out on top and you know Max's time will come but it will not be this year I'm afraid so yeah I'm putting Lewis down for an eighth world championship so that's just some of the things I'm looking forward to this year I'm sure you guys have your thoughts as well um the one thing I'm not looking forward to this year is just the the timing of a lot of the races you know it would have been nice if they did switch them back by an hour but that is not the case, so yeah, well, it's 2am this Monday morning for the Bahrain Grand Prix, and then when we get to the European races, it will be 11pm, as, you know, it's at least it's 10 minutes earlier than it was last year, so, you know, we'll just have to see, see how we fare, there'll be a lot of coffee, coffee had, and, um, you know, 
F1's got themselves a new coffee partner or something, Drive Coffee. I don't know if you can get that here in Australia, but um, yeah, definitely send some my way because I will need it. Before I do my Bahrain Grand Prix preview, I just wanted to quickly talk about Drive to Survive Season 3. I'll do a proper review of it next week after I finish the last few episodes. I've got, um, I'm up to episode 7 now, but just some comments quickly because I think it's brilliant. Again, they've done a great job of it. I'm not really getting tired of the format just yet, you know, I'm kind of... I'm getting sick of hearing complaints about it being overdramatic and manufactured and everything, you know, and the fake commentary is is getting under people's skin a little bit, you know, I really enjoy the behind-the-scenes nature of the, the show, and it's better than, you know, if you, all the other documentaries that we see about F1, you know, are very, they're cut in the same model where, you know, they're all, they're telling a historical story, or, you know, they're very... There's a lot of information where this has more drama. You know, it is like watching a drama, but that's how racing can be. There are narratives. You know, the Ferrari episode, for example, was by telling into the the said the divorce with Sebastian Vettel, and how he basically stopped giving a hoot about you know what he would say in front of the press and all that sort of stuff. You saw um, when you know Leclerc was talking about you know. He was asked about his fashion, like a line of um, clothing or whatever, his fashion label. And he's like, oh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to do that. And that's pretty much like, well, it's because, you know, we're wearing a sponsor. And the sponsor won't let him do it. So, you know, you know Leclerc's not going to give the, um, he's going to give the PR response. What the team wanted to say was, said was just like, yeah, I'm going to say whatever I want. So, in that respect, it's very, you know, revealing kind of thing it's not something we see from race to race or when we're watching the telecast through sky or f1 tv or whatever so that's the part i really like and you know the animosity as well about the racing point breakduct process the breakduct the break duct protest by the time we got to the british grand prix and the 70th anniversary grand prix as well where um you know that episode was based around daniel ricardo and, and renault but we've got to see the um, the tension there and also the emotion from Lawrence Stroll coming out as well. And a lot of people say that, yeah, Lawrence Stroll has been a bit of a, uh, bit, of a bit of a reveal or, you know, a bit of a, um, not going to say hero, but like they've just put him up on a pedestal because of Drive to Survive. I still dislike the guy because, you know, his history and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know... He's been given a character as a result of uh, this show, so it's got its ways. Look, I don't think it's going to last for much longer. You know, you can't do, you can't keep making <laughs> a season for every season for the rest of time. You know, it's eventually going to stop. But at the same time, what we have seen so far in the three seasons has been really good, and for people who are not fans of the sport, it does open it up to them. But the complaints from the, you know, hardcore fans, let's say, who are like, it's not, you know, it's not really right and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's like, yeah, that's the point of it. You know, it's not meant to be, it's meant to appeal to a broader audience. You know, you don't have to watch it if you don't want to kind of thing. But if you do, just take it with a grain of salt because I watch it from the perspective 
of a hardcore fan, but also I know that it's going to be cheesy and dramatic and over the top. And I don't look at it and say, wow, you know, that's so cool. I'm just like, yeah, that's a bit cheesy. But at the same time, it's very entertaining. It's like watching trashy TV sometimes. I'm not comparing the two, that it's directly the same. But, you know, how many of you can get away with saying, I doubt you say it in public, but you probably watch trashy TV like, you know, Love Island or The Bachelor or all that sort of stuff. You're probably too embarrassed to say it, but, you know, because you have to protect your ego and stuff, you've got to um, go with the persona of, oh, I'm against it sort of thing. Anyway, that quickly just turned into a random little rant, so we'll just move it on. But yeah, proper review for Draft to Survive next week from me. So our first race preview of the year, and based off the testing that we had a couple of weeks ago at this very same track, you got to say Red Bull are the favourites. They haven't won here, though, since 2013, so no wins in the hybrid turbo era. But it's also the first chance to see if Mercedes' struggles have carried over or whether they fixed them or not, because a lot of people think, oh, they'll be right for the first race, they'll come out, smash all position, front row lockout, and then a processional 1-2 finished for the win. But yeah, this is the first chance to see if whether they have actually fixed those issues or not. Um, if they have, and they're in a position to win, of course, Mercedes have the chance to equal Ferrari for the most wins here, so... Five wins they currently sit on, and the most wins is six. Lewis Hamilton as well, targeting five wins, which would make him the most winningest driver here as well. Currently tied with Sebastian Vettel for four wins, you know. So, so some of the things, you know, as, as far as the race are concerned, it's the night race, which we all love. You know, we remember him and Rosberg back in the day fighting wheel to wheel. Stand to tie allocations this year. So, so again, like last year, um, because of COVID, Teams can't pick and choose what, how many of each compound they want. They'll be given a standard allocation across the season. Overtaking, you know, a lot of critics say that, you know, the Australian Grand Prix is rubbish because there's no overtaking and stuff like that. Well, you'll get that here in Bahrain. You'll get overtaking. So I want to hear people complain here if, um, you know, about the overtaking situation. And race rustiness as well, you know. We haven't raced for a while, a few months now, so first races of the year, do these guys show any signs of rustiness, especially the ones who are racing for new teams? You know, the likes of Perez have said that they needed at least five races or something to get dialed into extracting the maximum. Um, how will Sebastian Vettel go, for example, given the fact that he you know, had such limited testing time as well. I'm sure a four-time world champion will get up to speed. Uh, Ricardo as well, McLaren, the third best car. You know, they were the third best car in 2020 as far as the Constructors' Championship is concerned. And, you know, they should easily be in the midfield when they come to Bahrain. But you've got to look at, you know, some of the sneaky guys behind because Pierre Gasly, Alfa Tauri, they loom large. I think, you know, they might be a bit of a silent assassin this year. They finished fourth in 2018, which was quite emphatic. You remember where Gasly was taking the mickey out of Alonso saying, this is a win, guys. This is a win. Now, now we can fight. No, sorry, the win. That was Roman Grosjean, I should say, in Huss's first race. Silly me. Um, Gasly was mocking Alonso by saying, you know, now we can fight. 
<laughs> That's right. Um, and then they finished sixth here last year as well. And of course, Yuki Sonoda should be easily rookie of the year, I think, this year. You know, he will be special. How will he go in that Alpha Tauri car as well, which is being widely regarded as a rocket ship? So that'll be interesting to see. Um, if you look at the last time you raced in Bahrain at the outer track, it was actually Racing Point, you know, which is now the Aston Martin. They won here, but at the Bahrain Grand Prix, the race before they had a double DNF, which was a bit miserable. Lance Stroll ended up being flipped over, like Esteban Gutierrez back in the day as well for, for Sauber. So not the greatest race to remember for the team now known as Aston Martin, but they're starting from scratch and hopefully they'll get some good results on the board too, because as I said, that midfield battle is going to be very, very tight. And when you look at um, going back to Mercedes and Red Bull and all that, when you look at uh, Valtteri Bottas's race, I mean, I've not really talked about Bottas this preseason much apart from the fact that he could possibly be out of a seat next year, um, but very much so, you know, he had a miserable two races here last year, you know, he had a puncture in the actual Bahrain Grand Prix, which relegated him to eighth, and then in the actual, in the Sakir Grand Prix, you know, he and George Russell had a race that we've documented many times, and everyone's documented, and I don't think people want to hear about, especially because they're very sensitive about George, so we'll leave it at that, um, but yeah, Bottas, he's going to want to start his year on the best possible way he can, the best possible way he can, but I don't know, I don't really have much expectation for, for Bottas, as sad as it is to say, I think he'll be solid, I think he'll do what he needs to to get Mercedes an eighth Constructors' Championship if they are up there, but I don't know, I think it's going to be Hamilton and Verstappen up there, and you know, as far as the rear gunners are concerned, it'll be Perez who'll be, um, the one ahead of Bottas, but who knows, I could be proven wrong, and then going back to the rookies, of course, you know, it'd be special to see the the Schumacher name back on the grid for the first time too, making his debut for Haas, so yeah, going to be confined to the back of the year, back of the grid this year, Haas and, and Schumacher as well, but you know, I think a lot of people will feel nostalgic seeing MSC on the timing screens, and which apparently he um, asked if he could have that, you know, just to give people <laughs> that sense of nostalgia because of um, that was the abbreviation his father ran. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see on um, this time next week. We'll be, what do you call it, summarizing it, reviewing the race and, you know, will it be Max Verstappen who comes out and wins? Will it be... Lewis Hamilton, will it be Bottas who decides to come out and say again, you know, to whom it may concern, F you. So, very, very intriguing how it will play out, but I can't wait. I really can't wait. Alright, so that's it for F1 on this week's episode. I'm going to finish it off with supercars and the Sandown Super Sprint. Boy, it was so good being back at a racetrack for the first time in over 12 months, you know, um, hearing the cars, especially when the S5000 cars came out, whoa, that was like, you know, a bit of a rude awakening, but very nice, um, those, if you haven't heard of S5000, please check them out, 
put type it in on YouTube and and watch some of the racing and just listen to them. They're so loud, you know, open wheel cars and everything. But it was a bit of a wet day as well, but it didn't dampen my spirits one way or one bit. You know, I got some really good photos as well. Um, but what a weekend I got. You got to say for for Sandown, you know, nothing about it being a um, sprint weekend made it any worse because we're so used to or I'm so used to the 500k race that we have before Bathurst the endurance race but it was amazing as a um, sprint you know it was wet as well which kind of helped but just high intensity on a, on a short layout so we had some epic battles of course you know Chas Mostert Cameron Waters, Jamie Wincup, Mark Winterbottom, they're all there, Shane Van Gisbergen who we weren't even sure was going to race over the weekend and here he is qualifying 17th in the first race and um, makes you know some epic moves, he did a double overtake as well at some point to, to win you know on Saturday and not only that he got both pole positions on Sunday and then won both races on Sunday in the wet as well so he swept Sandown as well as Bathurst that with you know a broken collarbone and also as we found out after the race weekend um, he had some fractured ribs as well so there's no stopping this guy this year so far he's just you know we thought oh if he misses Sandown then that could really hurt his championship but he's come in wounded and managed to come out with a perfect um, score sheet you know 605 points the extra five points because he's got the fastest lap in a race so apparently they're handing out um points for fastest laps as well now so you know van gisbergen picking it up in i think race five yep which was the third race on the weekend um he's stretched out his lead in the championship to 150 over his teammate now jamie wincup and gotta say it was a bit of a messy weekend for guys like Chaz mostert unfortunately um getting caught up with cameron waters again in race four you know of a late clash which ultimately cost Chaz the podium but i like the quote that he came out with at the end of the um first race just gonna find it uh where he said something like he's being paid that's what the he's being paid um by the guys at Walkinshaw and Dreading United to make cracking moves and try and get the results so you know good on him for for trying but you know ultimately when it comes down to the championship um a bit more consistency will be required but you know I love Jazz and I think he'll get the job done um, whether it's this year or next year or whatever, but he's just so amazing to watch on track. Cameron Waters as well, up there again, getting the podiums, but there was no stopping Giz, you know, Van Gisbergen. You know, he had 13 and 14 second wins on Sunday. Wet conditions, dry conditions, there's no stopping him, which just, I don't know what the rest of the year will look like, you know, and people will all the conspiracy theorists will be like, oh, you know, it's because Scott McLaughlin's gone, now you can win, you weren't winning then. And then, interestingly enough, over the weekend, there was a lot of criticism being levelled towards the Shell V-Power racing team, Dick Johnson Racing. And Scotty McLaughlin came to the defence of the team and said, you know, Sandown's a circuit that they've always struggled at. So it's not because, you know... Di Pasquale and Davison are two dill drivers, of course they're not, you know, they're great drivers, they're both race winners, yes, they're not 
you know, a McLaughlin, for example, but give the team a break. They're heading to circuits soon where they have done a bit better at. Um, they've been stronger at. And Sandown's one of those bogey tracks that where even McLaughlin hasn't had a win at. So there you go. You can't uh, argue with that. So anyway, you'll get these sort of comments online all the time. People uh, hurdling criticism and all that sort of stuff. But um, you just got to ignore it most of the time and, and move on. That's what I say. <laughs> it was good seeing as well, though. There was a maiden podium for Brody Kostecki there in the third race of the weekend. Um, qualified seventh, moved up, you know, made some awesome moves, including a pass on Jamie Wincup. And then ultimately the strategy that Erebus deployed, you know, having him run as late into the race as possible. And they ultimately pitted three laps from the end of the race. Um that was enough to have a gap over the other guys behind. Van Gisbergen got back ahead, and second was a surprise result for him and the Erebus team, of course, who have gone um, undergone changes over the off-season, you know, with both drivers uh, leaving and their respective engineers too, but they seem to be in a good place to Erebus, so good on them. And the podium for Kostecki, very well done. Will Brand, of course, his teammate, um, finished in seventh. So nice little, nice little weekend. And then, of course, Davy Reynolds as well for his new team at um, Kelly Grove Racing. Um, sh- very slick car they had with the retro Penrite livery, the black and gold colours. Um, finishing third for that race too. So and a very consistent weekend for for Win Cup as well, having a pair of thirds and then finishing fourth as well in the final race. So that's why he's um, jumped up in the championship. So. Very good weekend at all, in all, I think, for as long as Sandown can stay on the calendar, you know, hopefully it is for a bit longer, because, you know, there's always the rumours about it being sold off privately and turned into a um, a housing estate or something like that. Um, we do want to keep it on the calendar and in the um, Australian motorsports scene, because you know, they do do other, you know, the Shannon's Nationals and stuff like that there too, TCR, GT Championship and all that, so would love to see Sandown there, and it's, you know, a local track, I guess you could say, for us suburban Melbourneers. so yeah, <laughs> um, would like to see it hang around, and just such a great race, like, we're going to go from here to Simmons Plains, which of course is another short layout, and just as intense too, but, you know, whether it'll, you know, bring up the same kind of racing we got at Sandown will remain to be seen, but, you know, I think we're going to be in for a really good year, and even though Shane's got a bit of a lead now in the championship, I think people will reset and come back for the next weekend. Anyway, I think that kind of sums it up then for for this week so remember we've got our link tree in the description of the podcast you can find that also on on twitter as well at hit the apex media so that'll basically take you to you know the podcast um homepage also the twitter instagram for my personal instagram that is and also where all my work is published as well so yeah we'll be um i will be live blogging the race this weekend in barra from from here, not from Bahrain, <laughs> from my living room, tucked up in a blanket, of course, because it'll be freezing cold at two o'clock in the morning, but um, other than that, I think, yeah, it's good to be back, thank you for listening, you know, get in touch as always, and uh, hopefully we'll have a good race to review for you this time next week, so, ciao.